You are listening to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 33rd episode of the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa. And I'm Allison. Here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast, we are on a bit of a Baroque violin kick at the moment, it seems. This week, we're going to bring you a work by a well-known Baroque violin performer and composer, Giuseppe Tartini, and specifically, we'll be looking at his Devil's Trill Sonata. So if Baroque violin performers and composers sounds familiar to you, it's because we did take a look at Vivaldi in last week's episode, and both of them were Italian Baroque composers born in Italy and educated as priests. Tartini was born in 1692 in what is now Slovenia, and he was originally educated, as we said, as a priest and also against his will, just like Vivaldi was. <laughs> However, unlike Vivaldi, in addition to studying for the priesthood, Tartini also studied law at the Padua University while still somewhat pursuing his priesthood. However, he actually quit school to get married, which led to his arrest, since he was supposed to be becoming a priest and not supposed to be getting married. He was able to leave the area, and he lived in hiding in a convent, although remember, he really wasn't a priest. But at this point, he was able to practice the violin exclusively and tirelessly. What a rowdy music boy. <laughs> now, it was here in the convent that he became a master of the violin, and with this newfound fame, he was allowed by the Archbishop of Padua to forgive his crimes and be allowed back into society. And with impressive string skills, he no longer had to pursue the priesthood at all, so he became a professional musician. So first in his professional life, he was a violinist in the Church of St. Antonio in 1721. And then later, he founded a music school in Padua in 1728. And this school was very successful, partly due to Tartini's own reputation as a remarkable violinist. And students started coming from all over the world to study here with the era's violin master. Kind of as an aside, it's interesting to see how at various times in music history there are hubs of music education. And we see it here with Tartini's school in Italy, but... Also, of course, in the 19th, 20th century, when composers from all over, and notably in England, clustered in the Hoch Conservatory in Germany, and how all the great mid-20th century composers studied in France with Nadia Boulanger. And here in America right now, even, we see that many students are clustering in big, notable music schools like Juilliard, but students are also always watching for where the next best place to study will be based on what sort of musicians that location is putting out. So in 20 years, Juilliard might not be the place, right, where most of the students go. It could be somewhere completely different and unexpected. Now, although Tartini was already a notable performer and teacher, he didn't really raise as a composer until the 1730s when his first book of 12 concertos were published. Now, in 1740, his upward career trajectory met with disaster. <gasps> he suffered a stroke that left his left arm partially paralyzed. And this, unfortunately, left the once great violinist as merely a had-been. But he still had a lot of musical gusto. 
Rather than focusing just on playing, Tartini now began to really focus on his composing and pushing the bounds of music theory. And he was particularly fascinated with how music could be made into math and how he could then affect the listener's emotions based on his own mathematical calculations. Was this in any way sort of a forerunner to 12-tone or set theory, some of the more modern mathematically oriented music? Well, I, I don't think that's really what Tartini was thinking about when he came up with it. But I think a lot of the modern composers, being well-educated in music theory from all the eras, may have looked to the Baroque for some of their inspiration. Now, eventually, Tartini's interest in theory paid off, and he published three extensive treatises on his thoughts of music theory. And one of the most interesting theoretical musings was about what he called the, quote, third sounds, which is what in modern times we know as the overtone series. Tartini speculated that two notes, when played perfectly in tune, will produce the sound of a third note that will then complete a chord. And this idea has actually since been used throughout music history and kind of proven to be true, and it was particularly used in the Romantic and modern eras to add depth and color to a composer's orchestration. Once again, to draw parallels to more modern composers, we see this sort of thing used extensively in light orchestra lightly orchestrated pieces such as those of Copeland, where they use these like just a couple instruments that create a very full chord by making use of the overtone series. Tartini theorized and taught tirelessly until his death in 1770. So now on to our focus piece for this week, the Devil's Trill Sonata, which is also known as the Violin Sonata in G minor. The date of this composition is not actually exactly known. Some older sources cited that it was written in Tartini's younger years, commonly 1713 pops up, but a lot of experts now agree that its style is more mature and theoretical, which suggests that it was actually written after the 1740s, once Tartini really began exploring music theory. And a lot of experts now think it was written after Tartini's paralyzing stroke. Now this actually makes a lot of sense once you know the story of the composition of this piece. Allison, will you relate that to us? Of course. Apparently, Tartini had a Faustian dream. Now, keep in mind that the Faustian tale originated actually in the 1400s, so Tartini would have been familiar with the plot, just the most common version of Faust is Gothi's play, which came later. But anyway, in Tartini's dream, he is greeted by the devil who, in exchange for Tartini's soul, promises to grant his every desire. Now, in the dream, Tartini agrees to this plan and gets everything he ever wanted, Perhaps being able to play the violin again after his paralyzing stroke. Perhaps. So then, Tartini allows the devil to play his violin, hoping to hear some, quote, pretty tunes. But instead, he hears the most glorious and unusual sonata being performed. Tartini then wakes up in the real world and grabs his violin to start writing down what he could remember of this impossibly wonderful sonata. And apparently what he wrote down which we now have today as the Devil's Trill Sonata, apparently it didn't compare to what was played in his dream. And Tartini would have, quote, smashed my violin and given up music forever if I could have but possessed it, referring to the dream version of the sonata. 
Man, my dreams are so boring in comparison to this. I just <laughs> yeah. usually eat something really tasty. <laughs> Tartini was actually being productive and composing in his dreams. I know! <laughs> so today's music theorists can speculate all they want about the time period this piece was written based on theoretical principles, but all the proof we need that it was written in the 1740s is this story showing that Tartini dearly missed performing the violin as he did before the stroke and would have, quote, sold his soul to the devil to be able to do that again. However, we really should give a nod to the theorists who are out there to explore why they do think this piece fits stylistically with this period of Tartini's life, because they've done a lot of research about it. Yes, and so <laughs> Tartini believed that the human voice was the ideal musical instrument that could execute theoretical perfection, such as his perfectly in-tune combination tone. It's interesting, though, that he rarely wrote for voice. However, he wrote a lot in the vocal style, particularly in the slow movements of this piece. So in The Devil's Trill Sonata, the first movement is slow, and it mimics a flowing opera aria. So listen to this opening phrase here, and kind of try to sing it along in your head as you hear the notes. And you'll notice that it's actually very easy to sing, and it's actually sort of fun to do some of the larger leaps. Maybe for you, but I have a terrible singing voice. <laughs> well, you should practice your shower singing skills just for this. <laughs> <laughs> so also notice how much ornamentation is added to the melodies, some written and some improvised. Now, this was a hallmark of the Baroque era, of course, the ornamentation and improvisation on all of these melodies. But Tartini sometimes took great care to write out specific ornaments that would mimic how a vocalist would perform the melody. to Tartini attaching this piece to a story about the devil. He also utilizes a lot of dissonance, which, as late as the Renaissance period, was actually thought to summon the devil. So a specifically dissonant interval is called, actually, the devil's tone, and this is a diminished fifth interval. This is different from a normal fifth interval that, in music theory, sounds so pleasant that it's actually called a perfect fifth. So in medieval and Renaissance church music, the diminished fifth was actually forbidden, and composers had to be very careful about their counterpoint. But Tartini lived in slightly looser times, and he really leaned into the dissonance to drive his point home that this piece specifically is of dark and supernatural origin. This second movement is a sort of series of progressive variations— and they start out innocuously enough with some simple arpeggiations of minor than major chords. However, as the piece goes on, that diminished fifth interval, the tritone, sneaks in more and more in those arpeggiations. 
It's almost as if the devil in Tartini's dream is getting bolder and bolder during the composition, and we will hear more about this scandalous interval and the involvement of the devil in the third movement. Another source of dissonance in this second movement, though, is the use of non-diatonic notes. So diatonic means that the notes are actually written in the major and minor scale, and they're what makes the music sound major or minor. But a non-diatonic note means that it's a substitution in the scale, and it kind of makes it sound not quite right. So there are times in this piece where Tartini throws in a flat or a sharp on a particular note, and thus making it non-diatonic, and the result is kind of unexpected dissonance. We hear it here with a non-diatonic note that resolves up in a cadence. We hear it here in a non-diatonic note in the middle of a phrase. So finally in the third movement, Tartini really goes all out with the Baroque flair. This movement by far has the most written out ornaments, and it also requires the most virtuosity from the player with its self-harmonizing double stops. So double stops are when a violin or string soloist plays notes simultaneously on at least two strings, and sometimes more even. So here's the beginning of the slow introduction to the movement, and notice that almost every note is ornamented in Tartini's vocal style. And you can also notice here the first of many double stops. You can try to hear in these harmonies that third note or the overtone that, heart, that Tartini theorized and wrote extensively in this piece. And now, back to our discussion about the devil's tone or diminished fifth that we first heard in the second movement, but Tartini really drives that point home in the third movement with a lot of the double stops. And we actually get a specific section that he's annotated in the score as the devil trills at the foot of my bed. So kind of some programmatic writing right through here. <laughs> so apparently the composing devil has now taken complete control of the music and I'm sure that you can hear the extensive dissonance in this section. Now, as it rises in excitement and throws notes all over the place, this is really only still just one violinist playing. This piece requires some supreme virtuosity and musical talent to perform. So I almost wonder, in the composition of this piece, if this wasn't in some way Tartini's own poor pact with the devil, because he was given in his dream this amazing, perfect sonata, 
and then was cursed to never feel like he actually realized it. <laughs> I think we're still left with a really superb example of a Baroque sonata, whether or not it is truly of supernatural origin. And I believe that will wrap up our discussion on episode 33 of the Coffeehouse of Giuseppe Tartini's Devil's Trill Sonata. If you enjoy what we're doing on the Coffee House, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes or Google Play and telling a friend about our classical music fun. <laughs> so for the Coffee House Classical Music Podcast, I'm Allison. And I'm Asa. Thank you so much for listening. Tartini's Violin Sonata in G Minor, The Devil's Trill, was performed by Caroline Goulding in Shai Wang. Remember to subscribe to The Coffee House on iTunes or Google Play. You can also like our page on Facebook where you can share links to our episodes with your friends. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com. 